I'm going to start. Because there's no sense in recapping part one, because there's nobody in the room right now. But one thing I did say last night when I started this subset of this mini-series was that I had no problem doing this by myself at this stage because we know that this is a new endeavor and we know that people will be tuning in later and listening at their convenience. I left us off at my move from Hoffman, Polland, and Furman to my position at Getz Fitzpatrick LLP, where I was a partner from 2005 to 2015, and where I was an equity partner for most of that time. As tempting as it is, I'm not going to use this opportunity to trash that law firm. They did not treat me well. They did not treat me fairly. They did not treat me with respect. But I made a lot of money. And the thinking must have been that if they paid me a lot of money, that those other things were not necessary. That was an error. Now, you might say, Ron, you just said you're not going to trash the old law firm. Oh, no. I'm not trashing the old law firm. I'm actually giving you the best possible spin. I had a lot of flexibility. I was able to do things my way. I had a certain amount of firm financing behind me. And I built up my practice. I built up my online practice. I built up my blog. That was about the time I probably should have started doing video work and podcasts, but I didn't. But I did try a lot of cases. I did a lot of interesting work. I hired, actually I brought with me Joel McMull, my longtime partner in crime, who had joined me at Hoffman Polland. And it was going okay. Getz Fitzpatrick was a construction law firm pretending to be a general practice law firm, it was okay for me. And this was the time when I took on the pro bono representation of the slants. I began to get more and more up the curve toward politically incorrect. I remember when one one of our partners found out, one of the managing committee, in fact, 
that I was representing a band called The Slants that he couldn't believe I was doing something so offensive and that it could not be mentioned on the website. It was removed from the website. This was nothing compared to what my future would my future would uh, hold for me in this respect, but okay. In many respects, it was perfect. There were a lot of perks. We had very nice offices that we moved into after I'd been there a short time. Way up in One Penn Plaza, overlooking the whole city, overlooking the Empire State Building. It was a very easy commute for me because I was now on the west side of Manhattan, so all I had to do was get on a train, come out in Penn Station, and get on an elevator, because one Penn Plaza is above Penn Station. But relations with my partners were not getting better. I didn't like the way they were treating me. I also felt that I was being limited by the relatively small platform. The firm wasn't capable of doing certain kinds of sophisticated corporate and commercial work. I didn't feel that I really had all that much support. Again, the personal relationships were going south. And the recruiters were calling me on a regular basis. I also was getting tired of getting stranded in New York due to bad weather, or due to tunnel closings. And it seemed to me that I ought to return my practice to the Jersey side. So I joined the firm of Archer and Griner, which I had been, I had known of as a South, major South Jersey firm when I was practicing in New Jersey. Hi, Charlie. And which I was surprised to hear, had now added a Hackensack office in Bergen County, near, not far from my home. I met with a group of young partners. They were very excited about the stuff that I had been doing, including my burgeoning social media presence, my blog, my activity on Twitter, and the Slants case. They thought that could be very good for the firm. So I came on board to Archer. I was treated with tremendous disrespect, contempt, nastiness, and fraudulent behavior by my former firm, Getz Fitzpatrick. But ultimately, I was able to move on. And I spent a couple of years at Archer and Griner. And I won the Slants case in the United States Supreme Court with the help of my partners. And let's put it this way. One of my friends from home asked me if I, after winning a, a case in the U.S. Supreme Court, if I'd gotten a call from the managing partner offering to take me to dinner to con- Not only did I not get a call from the managing partner, but when he sent out an email 
acknowledging that we had won this case, he didn't even mention the names of the lawyers who worked on it. It was not appreciated. And I was not appreciated. The person who had recruited me at Archer and Griner had left. Within a few months of my getting there, meaning that he must have known that he was leaving even when he recruited me. Uh, there were actually two people who recruited me. The other one wasn't up to the plans and the kind of commitment that had been expressed to me to help develop this practice. And ultimately, I decided it was not the right place for me. And I made another move. And it was a, looked like a very good move. to a, And we're, we're towards the end here. We're towards the end of this of this path. But there's something I forgot to mention to you. We've got to go back. Something happened. Something happened around the time I went from Hoffman and Pollen to Getz Fitzpatrick, something around the mid-2000s. I met a witness for a trial and was talking to her in court. And she mentioned to me that she had seen, she had read my blog. And as we were talking, she said, you know, you have ADD, don't you? You know you have ADD. Now, someone had mentioned that possibility to me once before, but she said, we can tell who we are. I have ADD. I can tell from the way you write that you have ADD. I can tell by the way you're sitting and talking that you have ADD and you should see someone. So I saw someone. And in fact, I was diagnosed with adult ADD. And according to my doctor at the time, ADD and ADHD are the same thing. He did not accept the purported distinction. And all of a sudden, a lot of things started to make sense. The extracurricular activities, the bopping around, the impatience, the mistakes, the failures. Indeed, one of the things that motivated me to see my doctor was that not only was it obvious to me that I was restless, but that I was a high-achieving forgive me for saying it, but a high intelligence person who had really not been, strictly speaking, successful in his career and something didn't really add up. Well, it turns out that uh, that's kind of one of the things you see in certain kinds of people with ADD. And I started getting treated for ADD and the treatment helped. More importantly, it gave me insight into who I am and what I need in life and what's going to work for me and what's not going to work for me. It's not really a perfect segue into the next job. And again, we're down to this next to last job. But it, I think it, it does throw light on the whole experience. Well, what happened? I left Archer and Griner, 
went to a firm called Mandelbaum Salzburg, and I really thought I had found the place. It was a very good firm, not a great firm. In fact, I asked one of the partners there who had been with me at Lowenstein Sandler many years before, is this the kind of work that we were used to at Lowenstein? Didn't know, but, you know, they're working on it. There's some interesting practices there and some very good lawyers, not necessarily world-beating lawyers. I was there for... One of the things I mentioned when I came in was that I had... I had had some problems at Archer and Griner when I took on the representation of controversial clients, such as Gab. Have you ever heard of the the social media app Gab? Well, I took it on taken on Gab, and we were suing. They asked me to represent them in an antitrust lawsuit against Google in connection with how Google had thrown them or prohibited them from making their app available on the Play Store. And the night before we were we had finalized the complaint, they told me I couldn't file it because it would look bad for the firm because Google had a, a bad reputation. And this was rather devastating and humiliating for me. I had told everyone, I had disclosed everything. I was working with a member of the management committee on the the case. And then out of nowhere, they told me I couldn't file it. And that was completely unacceptable for me. I told this to them at Mandelbaum Salzburg. And... They said, that won't be a problem here. Three years later, I was called up on a Sunday morning and told by the partner's representatives at Mandelbaum Salzburg that because of my lawsuit that I had filed on behalf of Women for for America First, challenging New York City's endorsement of a political message of on behalf of Black Lives Matter painted on the street in front of Trump Tower that I must leave the firm immediately. But they certainly lied to me about other things as well. This was the one thing, however, that took the decision out of my hands. For example, being told exactly what I had to do to become a partner, an equity partner, which I then did and then did again and wasn't even considered for partner. You know, remember I told you in part one that I had been pulled aside by a partner. I didn't really quite tell you the story. I'd been pulled aside by a partner at Kay Scholler. My first job, remember, the white shoe firm that's now part of a different firm. Um who said to me, Ron, you, you're really not fitting in. Your, your style is not, you're, you're not really cutting it. I, I don't, I wish I could remember exactly what he said. 
But what he really told me was I, I, I didn't have the social graces to make it at that firm. And it was very interesting to me that he said this. this on the one hand, I had attended Princeton and been a member of a private club and I attended law school at Northwestern. I thought I carried myself rather well. And on the other hand, unlike probably everyone else there, I had come from this working class immigrant background. I, where neither of my parents had gone to college. Maybe I was not clubbable and plus the ADD. ADD does affect your personality, does affect the way you come across to people and interact with people. There are issues of, what do they call it? Um, control, self-control. I mean, I didn't do anything crazy. I didn't do anything wildly inappropriate, but looks like I really didn't fit in. I didn't fit in there. Didn't really fit in anywhere. And guess what? It didn't help that I'm an Orthodox Jew. I'm not saying anybody was prejudiced against me. Certainly not at Kay Scholler. It's a little bit more complicated question at Kay Scholler. But I'm not going to get into intramural political and cultural issues among Orthodox Jews. But I will tell you that it is harder to become a member of the club when you're wearing your lack of club ability on your sleeve the way I did and do. You can't really go out to lunch or dinner with people. You're not available to participate in things Friday night, Saturday. It's different. No complaints, no regrets, but it took me a very, very long time to realize that when you go to a school like Princeton, as I did, you're not necessarily... In fact, not hardly at all going to be admitted to networks that otherwise would have been inaccessible to you. They're going to remain inaccessible to you. The purpose of network, what, what, what these schools, these elite schools do for networks is reinforce them. They're not really there to add new members. All right. I have no complaints about Princeton. It took very good care of me. It looked very good on my resume, and it educated me very well. And in fact, at every stage of my so-called career, I learned and grew as a professional in every one of these law firms. And I learned hard lessons about what's necessary to build my career and succeed on some level or another, and to identify and clarify what success really means. I left Mandelbaum Salzburg, and before I, I got them to give me a week, that was very gracious, and during that week, I was quickly contacted by Harmeet Dillon, I had known Harmeet vaguely over the last few years. We were working a lot of the same territory. She obviously knew about my First Amendment work. In fact, towards my 
the end of my time at Mandelbaum, I was local counsel with Harmeet on a case in New York. So we had a chance to work together a little bit. We had met for the first time in Washington, D.C. at the 2019 Social Media Conference. I think I'm going to go with Harmeet. At the Social Media Conference uh, at the White House in the summer of 2019, which was one of the, certainly one of the most exciting experiences of my life. And we seem to be, you know, rather compatible philosophically. And she said, listen, I would really like you to consider coming on board with our firm and representing us out in the New York area. And I've been looking for someone who could carry the flag there on the East Coast, and you just might be that person. And I'm not sure she's convinced that I was that person. I think uh, she's gotten to see some of the things that other people have had to see. I think a lot of the things that bothered other people don't bother harm me because she's idealistic as I am, because she's marching to the beat of a different drummer as I do. Uh, on the other hand, living with or working with as a partner, someone who has ADD and who is nonetheless expected to operate at a high professional level can be frustrating. And I think I have frustrated my partner. She's been very, very gracious and generous. And the firm has been growing since I've been here, not necessarily because of me, but not necessarily despite me either. Good things are happening. Uh, we're moving into larger quarters. I decided not to set up shop in New York, but rather to stay in New Jersey. New York, having been so compellingly damaged. After COVID affected the way we do business and practice law, the need to go into court in person has never been more attenuated. In fact, I could do what I'm doing here in Newark just as easily from Florida and keeping quite a lot of my money to myself rather than giving it to politicians to spend on nonsense and still be able to afford flying north for the occasional in-person appearance or meeting. But we're not ready for that. I'm here in New York from New Jersey. We're growing. I think I'm... Uh, in a good groove right now, thank God. A lot of nice work has been coming in. We've had a great chance to work with Harmeet and her crew. I think we're beginning to get more and more used to each other. And that's my so-called career. That's how I got here. That's how it is that I came to have so many interesting cases. Because... I've had an interesting career. I've taken on stuff that other people 
wouldn't either because my clients didn't have enough money for other people or because my clients thought that I was the only person who could represent them. And in both cases, or in one or the other, they were often right about that. As a result, I got to try a lot more cases than many of my colleagues from more institutional firms who always showed up on time and never missed a date, but who didn't have the personality or the confidence or something else to step up and try a case before a jury. And I'm grateful. I'm grateful for the opportunities that I've had. I remember once when one of my, I'd like to say one of my mentors at Pitney Harden, I am reluctant to call him a mentor because I don't think he considers me a protege. This might sound familiar to you. But we were in court together waiting for the judge to come out on the bench. And he said to me, with the most serious possible look on his face. Can you believe we get to do this for a living? And I knew exactly what he was talking about. It was bliss. I love being in court. I had lunch yesterday with a lawyer in my community who was telling me about how really it's more important to be a businessman than a lawyer. He hardly does any lawyering at all. He brings people in to do volume work in his areas of practice. He supervises it remotely. He doesn't have all that much to do all day long. But this is really how to live, he told me. This is, this is how you do it. And people who can't do it this way are control freaks or obsessive. Or they, don't, they don't let go or they, any number of things. And, you know, this was a guy who's a good 20 years younger than I am and it. 15 years younger than I am, and it sounds like he's already in a position to retire. I'm not. I, I don't know if I will ever be able to afford to retire. But I do know this. Although I can imagine a lot of other things I might enjoy doing, and a number of other things that I might like doing, and that I might, that's the same thing, or that I might succeed at doing, and be great at doing, I enjoy being a lawyer. I don't... Of course, there are things from an economic economic point of view and from a personality point of view that are not appropriate for me to be doing at my level of seniority. But sometimes I, I do want to roll up my sleeves. One of the things I used to like doing best, in fact, was personally filing papers with the clerk to begin a lawsuit. Walking into the clerk's office, whether it was in the Bergen County, New Jersey clerk, or the Southern District of New York in, the, in downtown of Manhattan, handing over the papers, giving them the check for the filing fee, 
getting back that stamped, that file stamped complaint. Waiting there to see what judge was chosen. What an exciting time. What exciting moments those were. I loved them. Now, case openings are done in most places, certainly everywhere I practice. From your desk, 24-7. I don't mind being able to do that, but I do miss those trips to the clerk's office all the same because I enjoy being a lawyer. And for better or worse, I've enjoyed my so-called career. Charlie, unless you've got something to say, I'm going to sign off and thank you for joining me for most of this most of this uh, evening. Any thoughts? I'll take that as a no. Good night. <laughs>